Amen. Good morning again. Hey, would you, if you have a Bible with you or your Bible app, whatever you use, would you turn to Ruth chapter 1? Hard times cause us to respond in different ways. How we respond, however, is incredibly important. So I would qualify this uh, in this season of social distancing, in this uh, asking of the nation to be confined to their homes with the, the exception only of essential things. Workers to work from home with the exception of essential workers. For those who are, uh, who are live, trying to live their daily lives, the only thing they're, they're saying that we would do would be essential things. Go to the store, go to the pharmacy. I would say this qualifies for us as a hard season. Uh, just all that we have seen, whether or not you are working or not working, everything has become more challenging. Uh, things are less available. Uh, work is harder. People are not around you. You're, you're, you're missing that contact. How we respond right now is incredibly important. So I want to use this passage today in Ruth chapter 1. I want to use it as a parallel to what we are going through. And so I want to ask that if you would, will you pray with me? Help me as we, or pray for me as I pray. Help us as we gather together on this Palm Sunday to really understand that how we respond matters. Will you pray with me? God, as we gather today, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I want to personally just pause and slow down, Lord. As this morning has been rushed and chaotic, Lord, we're working on a skeleton team. We are keeping less than 10 people and practicing social distancing. And with the things that we do, God, this has become challenging. Band size, tech volunteers, just what we do has become challenging. And God, I, I, it has affected me this morning. Lord, would you allow me to slow down and be in this moment? For our church that's at home, Lord, they're, they're probably got more distraction, more things going on. Maybe there are kids or their, their life or their business is just a challenge or their lack thereof. Will you help us to slow down in this moment, please? Help us to open your word and open our hearts. God, let us be in this moment at distance, individually, with our families, doing this in a new way, whether we're right here in Cerritos, in Southern California, in LA, Orange County, or we are in another state, in Florida, Arizona, Hawaii. We've just had people watching, so God, help us. Help us to slow down in this moment, please. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look right before Ruth 1.1, you'll see a passage in Judges 21 that says this, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king. So here's the, here's the setting we're in. If you're familiar with the book of Exodus where the, the people of Israel, they leave Egypt. They were enslaved in Egypt. And then God liberates them through Moses. We looked at that passage just a couple weeks ago. And God moves them into a desert. He is going to take them to a promised land. He's going to take them to a place where he has provided for them, a place he will give them. 
But in that moment, they are under hard circumstances, under trials, and they are struggling, and they they end up being disobedient, so they wander through the desert for like 40 years. And it's during that season that they have no king, they have no, and they lack obedience. As they even get into their promised land, they, be, they become very disobedient. The people of God, under the, the most amazing miracles, the people of God become incredibly disobedient. And so I, I want to take that place, and especially that line that says that they did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, says Judges. That they just did what they thought was right, what they thought in their own eyes, what they measured to be true or false. They didn't pursue God. They did what they thought was right. And and I'll tell you exactly why I picked this passage today. I feel like in our culture, in the American, Western American church, in the, the modern day 2020 Christian church, there's a lot of doing what we think is right in our own eyes. Whether that be to distance ourselves and to be obedient, or whether that's to call out and to be rebellious. You guys probably heard the news story that a megachurch in Florida, even when asked not to meet, continued to meet. For me, that is completely disobeying passages like Hebrews and Romans and 1 Corinthians. Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 1 says, submit to the authorities. There is no authority in place except which God has put in place. That means you don't have to like that authority. But until that authority calls you to renounce God, be disobedient to God, participate in the worship of other idols, other false gods, that that you are to submit to authority. And so when I hear churches completely ignoring that, I I just ask myself, okay, well, why? And I saw Christians championing them, and I saw Christians criticizing them, and I just ask ourselves, at what point have we lost our surrender and our submission to Jesus for what is right in our own eyes. So the very next verse is Ruth, and we're going we're gonna to pick up in that story, but I want to give you a main idea today. So Palm Sunday, if you will, calls us to rethink our faith. Can you put that back on the screen, please? Palm Sunday th- calls us to rethink our faith. People wanted Jesus to come in and conquer Rome, but instead he died on a cross and the crowd left him. Do we trust God in trials and believe his plan is best? This will be my final message that isn't right where we wanted it to be. Coming Friday, we will do Good Friday. Thursday, we have something special for you. Stay tuned for more information. Friday night, 6 p.m., we will get back into the book of Isaiah. We will pick up with God proclaiming the crucifixion 800 years before it happened. Easter Sunday, we will look at the resurrected Jesus, and following that, we will dive back into our series in Isaiah. But today, Palm Sunday, I switched the message just as a way of saying, I want us to look at where we are and what we can learn as a church. Ruth 1.1 says this, in the days when the judges ruled, that's the very book right before that we just read, there was a famine in the land, and and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So this is the beginning of a book of Ruth, and it shows the era that we're in. Judah, and uh, we're in Bethlehem, is being ruled by judges, and everyone is being incredibly disobedient. And the economic situation gets worse. And so I'm going to, as they do that, that how they respond is what I want to look at today. 
And so I want to give you just some cultural notes. This is something that takes place about 3,000 years uh, before, uh, before Jesus, uh, uh, several thousand years before Jesus, excuse me, and then long before now. And so here's what's going on in a culture unlike our own, roughly, I think it's, man, now my mind's going blank, like 4,000 years ago, 4,500 years ago. So here's what it is. So cultural note number one, in the time of the judges was a very disobedient season for the people of God, with people living and acting however they wanted. So this is how they're living. They're doing what they desire to do. Cultural note number two, the famine is historically viewed as God's judgment against the people for their disobedience. So this famine is seen and written about by the prophets as a judgment on the people. He's judging them for their disobedience and their failure to be the people of God. Note number three, Moab was an enemy of Israel about 50 miles away with a wicked history, both morally and spiritually. So here's the setting that we're in. The people of God are disobedient. The leadership is disobedient. And God has been calling them to return to him. In fact, they're not receiving the very things God wants for them because of their disobedience. And so in this moment, everyone does what is right in his own eyes. And none of them are being submitted to God. And so God begins to lift his hand off of them and there's a famine. God reduces what they have. And so I I say this as a parallel today. Here's what I'm not saying, that we, the church, have caused coronavirus. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that anyone has caused this. I want to get out of that, and I just want to draw some parallels. I do want to say that as the church, as followers of Jesus, there are some parallels for us. There are things that we can learn about how they act and about how we act today. We can look at the lives of the people in the passage and we can ask ourselves how it is that we act. How do we respond in this season? So Ruth 1.1, I want to read this one more time. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So the sojourn, he goes to travel over there because of the problems, because of the famine A man who is uh, supposed to be a follower of God takes his wife and his two sons and he goes to Moab. Moab were the enemy of the people. Moab was a pagan place where they worship false gods and idols. This is a place that God had said, I want you to be separate from, distinct of. I don't want you to not be like the people of Moab, but rather in this famine than returning to God and trusting in God, here's what they do. This family picks up and they move in with the people that are the most unlike God. So he takes his family, he moves in there. Verse 2 says this, and the name of the man was Elimelech. Interesting note, Elimelech means God is king. Hold that just for a second. The name of the man was Elimelech and his son, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. So these people from Bethlehem, and yes, that city sounds very familiar. It's the place that we identify as Jesus' birth at birth in Bethlehem. So these people that are supposed to be following God, whose name is God is King, are living in any different way, in any other way than having God be their King. See, it's not enough just to say that Jesus is our Lord. It's, it's not enough just to say Jesus is our Savior. It's not enough just to proclaim that God is our King. We have to live in accord with what we say. 
And so in this setting where this man who's named God as king, he does anything other than obey God. In fact, he disobeys God. He doesn't trust God for provision. And he takes off and he goes into Moab. Ruth verse 2, I, I want to look at the second half of that where it says this. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. So a quick point on verses 1 and 2. In verse 1, it says they sojourn there. They're going to take a short trip there. Probably what this family is doing is going outside of their nation, outside of their country, to go get provision, go get food maybe, to provide for the family. But the story is, rather than trust God, they do something against God. But in this short trip that they end up over there, it says they end up remaining there. So if you're a note taker, here's a note for you. Trapped in a bad decisions. Often we choose to walk away from God for a short time and then find ourselves captive to that choice. Our wrong choices often enslave us. Understand this, I, I remember when I was younger, and, and many of you who know me, if you're watching online, we've never met, I come from a story of addiction. Uh, I started as a young kid, uh, grade, uh, grade school started getting in trouble, and by the time I was in middle school, I was using drugs and selling drugs, and I got in a lot of trouble as a kid. That continued on until I was into my late 20s. Addiction never starts out with someone saying, hey, I want to get strung out on this drug. It starts out with someone saying, oh, you know, I'm okay, I'm going to try this. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to try this. And then they like this, and then they do it more. And then the next thing they do, maybe they're trying other things, and whatever it is, it lands an addiction to where your body and your mind and your heart is all dependent upon a drug. Sin is that. Sin is this thing that we, we think looks harmless, but we go and we try. We try going against God, and the next thing you know, we're enslaved to our own decisions. And that's what happens with Elimelech and Naomi and their family. They choose to disobey God for a short time. They end up trapped by their decisions. Verse 3, it says, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Being widowed in this culture is incredibly different than being a widow today. So take the, the things that we have in common, if a woman loses her husband or husband loses his wife. But if a woman loses her husband, she goes through the grief of that loss. In this setting, not only did this person go through the grief of that loss, but they also lost their financial economic stability. A widow, a woman, was not allowed to own the business or own the land. And so when someone's husband died, they were then, they were then cared for by their oldest son or their sons in general. And so Naomi loses her husband. She grieves the loss of someone she loved, but she also loses her economic stability. And she becomes dependent upon her sons. Verse 4, it says this. These sons took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. So this short trip to go figure out how to eat, how to be sustained, this short trip that moved them into Moab, turns out to be 10 years and marrying their sons to Moabite wives. And so you've got to understand, as they walk further and further away, what they're doing is embracing Moab more and more. If you're raised in Moab, clearly you weren't raised to worship God. And this family that used to at one point worship God has moved in and has assumed the customs, the cultures, and the worship of Moab. These sons marry Moabite wives, and you just see them slipping further and further away from God. Verse 5, it says this, Both Malan and Kilian died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So the situation gets worse. This is the worst place for a widow. No husband, no sons. This means you are left to poverty. 
You are left to, uh, to, to be submitted to or beg from even sometimes the generosity and the kindness of others. This is a woman who would go on to have to struggle for the rest of her life because she lost her husband and her two sons. If you're a note taker, tragedy begets tragedy. Problems and pain often gain momentum and get out of control. Naomi's decisions to continually pull away from God only make things worse. As Naomi and Elimelech leave uh, Bethlehem and Judah and they move to Moab, things perpetually get worse for them. They go from being in need and in want to sudden loss, to even more loss and even more destitute. So Naomi and her disobedience goes from, from one disobedience to another to another and things begin to get worse and get worse for her. Tragedy begets tragedy. Problems and pain often gain momentum and get out of control. Her decisions to continually pull away from God make things worse. Verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So back in Bethlehem, in Judah, where the people of God are, the people of God have begun to repent and have begun to return back to God. And in this, the people of God are now being blessed by God. A harvest is taking place. God is providing for his people. And so Naomi, 50 miles away in Moab, decides, I should return to where I've been from. I should return from Moab and go back to Bethlehem. I should return and just submit myself and see if God will bless me as well. Returning to God. Scripture shows us how people respond to hardship. Naomi spends years running away from God only to return to Him later. How will we respond to our current crisis? How do we respond in our current situations? And again, Naomi spends years running the other direction. Many of you have been near to Jesus at one point. You have, and maybe you were raised in a family of faith, or maybe at some point in your life you decided to come to faith and follow Jesus, and you spent some time near him, and then wandered away. And then for whatever reason, for whatever circumstances, for whatever took place in life, you wander away, and then the next thing you know, you kind of wake up realizing you're really far away. And that's the story of Naomi. Her situation has caused her to, to suffer and endure hardship, but it's in her hardships that she makes the next decision. It's like in our season right now that is tough. We have decisions to make. Do we, do we trust in God or do we follow what seems right in our own minds? The people in this day had followed what they thought was right to themselves and had, had been disobedient to God. Now Naomi, who has hit rock bottom, has decided, I've lost everything. I will return back home to Bethlehem. Verse 7, so Naomi set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So Naomi repents. Naomi returns. If you're unfamiliar with the biblical word repentance, it just means this, to turn 180 degrees and run the other direction. And so here's what happens with Naomi. She's not necessarily running. She's not necessarily repenting out of a desire to be better. She's turned because she's hit rock bottom. And at this point, the only way to go is up. And so she knows that that path leads through returning home and worshiping God. So her two daughters-in-law begin to follow her and go with her. 
See, the gospel is really kind of pivoted, uh, positioned right here in this story. See, the gospel of Jesus is that, that God created us and loves us, that God designed us to be worshipers of his. And when I say worship, I don't just mean when we sing, when we worship that way, like when we're in church or at home. But worship means that we give our lives to glorifying God, that we obey God, that we follow God, that our lives become more about God than about ourselves. And when we do that, we position ourselves, not in, in places that are perfect, we live in a fallen, fallen world, but we place ourselves under God and God's provision is there for us. But as you probably know the story, sin entered into human history. People chose to obey themselves, what seems right to them, rather than what God has said is right. And that sin entered in and separated God and humanity, a holy and a perfect creator God. That relationship was severed by a sinful and broken humanity. And then we inherit that. And then all of us have come along and we've chosen our own way just like the people before us. And so we drive that wedge further and further away from God. Just like Naomi, knowing what's right, we've all gone and run the other direction. So God could have left us, us, in our spiritual Moab, if you will, in our place far away from him. But God didn't want to do that. God desired to reconcile us to him. And so God becomes flesh. Jesus, the Son of God, enters into human history. God becomes flesh. And Jesus lives the life that we have been called to live. And then he turns and he pivots towards Jerusalem, knowing what lies in front of him is his execution. Palm Sunday is that day where he enters into Jerusalem and begins his journey towards the cross so that he can take on the penalty for sin, for the sin of the world. So Jesus dies for us that we might be forgiven. He suffers on a cross as a mediator, literally visibly hanging between God and man on a cross. Jesus becomes our mediator, our path back to God. But that journey requires us to turn, to turn away from following ourselves and turn towards following Jesus. So Jesus suffers and dies to cover our sin. He's buried in a grave And then he resurrects on Easter Sunday. Next Sunday, the very thing Easter Sunday observes and celebrates is the resurrection of Jesus. And that resurrection is so important for you and I because it gives us new life. Wherever we are, whatever we're going through, whatever sins we have committed or whatever sins have been committed against us, new life is found in the resurrection. And so Jesus says this, if you will trust me and turn from your ways and return to me, If you will come back, I will cover your sin. I will forgive you. I will heal you. I will redeem you. The offer of salvation is for all. If anyone would come to Christ, they too can be a new creation. Acts 2 says it this way. When the Jews hear Peter preaching and they ask him, what must we do to be saved? They say this, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children are all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will be forgiven, and you will be given the Holy Spirit. New life will be given to you. That's the promise of the gospel. Naomi is currently returning to God. She's going from Moab back to Bethlehem. She is returning, not necessarily joyfully, she's returning in pain. 
She's not doing it necessarily by choice, maybe, but she is doing it out of hitting rock bottom and having no other answers. And sometimes, like my story, it's found at hitting bottom. It's found when you, when you crash so hard that there's nowhere else to turn. That's where Naomi is. So back in the book of Ruth, verse 8, says, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me, and the Lord grants you that you might find rest, and each of you in the house of her husband. She kissed them, and they lifted their voices and wept. Now just as she says this, she says, Go, return to your home, get new husbands, live the rest of your life. Go and be blessed. Don't follow me. I have nothing. I have nothing to give you. Verse, 30, or verse 10, excuse me. And they said to her, no, we will return with you, with you to our people, to your people, excuse me. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that, I may be, that might become your husbands? Verse 12, turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I too, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband right this night and should bear sons, would you, verse 13, wait for me until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it is exceedingly bitter for me. For your sake at the hand that the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi says this to her daughters-in-law. She says, no, I'm going home. That's my place. I need to walk this journey. I need to return. I need to return to God. I need to return to my people. But you stay here. Find husbands. Live your life. Don't follow me. I'm in bitterness. The hand of the Lord has been against me. I know that sometimes we look at our circumstances and we don't understand them. Or maybe we understand them and they're just the exact opposite of what we thought it would be. Again, I began with the example that I thought we were going to do three Sundays online to the end of March and that today, today we'd be back person to person in this room, worshiping together. We were going to have our little kids here in the palm branches, and we were, going to, we were going to do Palm Sunday the way we had mapped out and planned Palm Sunday. God had another plan. God had another set of things that we were to do instead of our plan, and, and, and we had to learn that. We had to understand, okay, what we had in mind isn't what's happening. God has a different plan. Now, we could push back on that, or we could fight it, but really, at this point, what do you do? But we turned, and we said, you know what? Right now, God is using this season. He's using this season to reach new people, to build a people for himself. And so we have just said, listen, we're going we're gonna to double down, and, and we're going to do live stream as best we can, and we're going we're gonna to provide for you as best we can. We're going to call our folks, and we're going to provide online opportunities where they can gather together. We're going to do what we can. Because sometimes our plans have to change to fit what God is doing. Palm Sunday looks different than we had planned it because we had to change our plans to fit what God is doing. And I say that with, we decided, hey, we're going to figure this out and follow where God leads us. We don't do it bitterly. We don't do it begrudgingly. And we're not doing it perfectly but we are willingly following where God is leading. Psalm 103 says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgression from us. Naomi is turning back and heading back to her place, her home, her family, to her birth town. 
She's walking this journey back to God, and inside of her, she's bitter. Inside of her, I think she believes, I don't know if God will ever accept me back, but God has proclaimed these words, as far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us, does God remove our sins from us. She is walking back, and there on the other side is God waiting for her. And we, don't, we can't cover the whole book today, but the story of redemption that takes place in Ruth is one that is incredible. And the story of Naomi herself and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, is an incredible story of God's redeeming power, God's forgiveness, and God's grace. So back in Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 15, it says this, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung on to her, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Naomi looks at Ruth and says, Listen, Orpah is going home. You should stay here. You should go back to your home. Go back to your people. Go back to what you do. Worship your own gods. My God's angry with me. My God doesn't want me back, but I've got to turn back. I've got to go back to God. I've got to go home but I have, no, I have nothing to give you. I have nothing to offer you. I, don't, I, I barely have hope myself. So she encourages her daughters-in-law to stay. Verse 16, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. This is an incredible verse right here. That your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Naomi says, no, I'm following you. Somehow, I'm sorry, Ruth said, no, I'm following you, Naomi. Somehow, in the midst of all the chaos, Ruth finds hope in Naomi's God. She says, your people will be my people. I'm going with you. You're my family now. And your God will be my God. Ruth makes a confession of faith. Verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried May the Lord do so to me and more, if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth says this, I make a vow to you and to God, I'm going home with you. I'm going to return with you to the place where your God is blessing his people, and I'm going to follow you, you can become my family. This is a passage that's often used in weddings that your people will be my people and your God will be my God and let, let God curse me if anything but death separates us. But this is not how it's originally written. It's written from a woman to her mother-in-law saying, listen, I want to follow you and your God. In the midst of hardship and trial and tragedy, in the midst of suffering loss, Ruth has lost all those people too. Ruth's husband has died. Her brother-in-law has died. Her father-in-law has died. She's also broke. She's also destitute. She's also hurting. But somehow, some way, through a bitter and hurting Naomi, Ruth sees hope. So Ruth commits to following her and following God. So people right now are searching for hope. If you're a note taker, I want to put this on the screen for you. Naomi, even in her weakness, is pointing back to God. Ruth needs hope, and Naomi, weak as she may be, provides a path to God for Ruth. As broken and hurting as Naomi may be, she's providing a path to God for Ruth. Let this be an encouragement to you today. There are people all around us that are broken and hurting and looking for hope. And in this moment, no matter where you are, maybe you're broke, maybe you're hungry, maybe you're lonely, wherever you are right now, you still have hope. 
You have the hope that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have the hope that comes from following God. And others are looking for hope. If you're our guest today, and and maybe you saw us online, or you're following from a, a friend's watch party or something, let me say this. In this season, when everything is upside down, we have great hope through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I want to give you that hope. I want you to know that you can have that hope too. Does that mean this situation is going to immediately change? No. It just means that our situation changes to be in in the presence of God and and, in the presence of a community of followers of Jesus. It gives us hope. It gives us transformation. And, And yes, God provides. That doesn't promise an easy, smooth path in the next few days, but it promises that God has us. That Jesus says, I hold you in my hand and no one can steal you out of my hand. If you are in Christ, he holds you. No one, not yourself, not an economy, not a country, not another person, not Satan himself can steal you out of Christ's hands. We have hope. We have great hope no matter what our external circumstances are. Verse 18, and Ruth says this, And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Naomi says, okay, this is our path. Let's go back. The story ends with Naomi returning to God and Ruth starting a journey towards God. It, 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 it's like a, a Christian today returning to Christ and bringing someone new with him or her. It's that they're both on this journey. They're both repenting. They're both turning. They're both heading back to where they should be in church. This is what I believe for us. In this season, right here, right now, we need to be returning to God. And if you're a follower of Jesus right now, if you call Generations Church your home, or you're a Christian, you've been following Jesus for however long, this is for you. If you're, if you're a guest or you're not a follower of Jesus, just don't tune out yet. This isn't for you. Church, right now is where we need to repent, where we need to return. Right now is where we need to be a witness, where we need to provide hope. And if you're our guest today, I hope this, I hope that you find hope, the hope that we have in Jesus. I hope you know that the story doesn't end with coronavirus. In fact, even if, I, if it takes my life, it doesn't end there. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If even though you die, you live. She will leave forever. So what about Ruth? See, this story, really, this book is entitled Ruth. It's about her journey towards God and how God cares for her. And there's three and a half more chapters that we can't cover. But I want you to read something out of the Gospel of Matthew. It says this, And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David, the king. Here's what I read you. Here's this this passage. Ruth becomes a critical piece in the story as she begins to follow God. As she follows God, God uses her and her grandson becomes the king of all Israel who leads the people back to God. Wherever you are right now, no matter what your struggle is, let God use you. Whether you're broken and hurting right now, let God use you. Whether nothing has really changed for you, and you're, and you're happy, you're content, let God use you. Let God use you to lead others. And if, if you're that other, I want to invite you to follow Jesus. Just, man, message me, message the church, get in touch with us. I want to talk to you. I want to share the gospel. I want to tell you about hope and life in Jesus. I'll finish with this. Naomi, 
Here's a slide for you. Naomi is a woman who runs away from God in hardship only to find more pain. She eventually returns to God after enduring incredible loss. Even so, God used her disobedience to cause Ruth to trust in God. Will we run the other way and times are hard only eventually to lose more and return with more struggle? Or will we just say, God, I'm yours today? Ruth, Ruth was a woman that, who through trial and loss pursued God. Through faith, Ruth became a woman with an incredible story and a powerful legacy in the story of Jesus, our Savior. Will you be that person that now in this season when things are crazy, will you turn to God and let God use your story and cause you to have a legacy for Him? Will you take this moment and make this the beginning of your faith? And ultimately, this is all about Jesus. Remember, as the crowds gather around Jesus and they call him to be king, Jesus knew the path to the cross, excuse me, Jesus knew the path to the crown went directly through the cross. He fixed his eyes on what God was doing rather than the world he could see. Jesus knew as the crowd shouted out, become our king, conquer Rome, take us out of here, liberate us. Jesus knew that his road to a crown was not through military victory or ascending in the typical way. His journey to the crown went through the cross. He would be betrayed and condemned falsely. He would be scourged and beaten. He would be nailed to a cross. And he did this so that he could cover our sin, become our king, and give us new life. That's what Palm Sunday is. It's not all palm leaves and worship, though it's part of that. Palm Sunday is also the day that Jesus fixes his eyes on the cross. Hebrews says it this way, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, despising its pain, despising everything in front of it, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus pursued the cross. Jesus went willingly to the cross. Jesus turned and endured so that you and I might have hope. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. You have given everything for us, and we give so little back. God, forgive us that in hard times we do what we think is right in our own eyes rather than waiting on you. Jesus, forgive me in hard times. I do what is right in my own eyes, and I don't always keep my eyes on you. I often look away. I often go my own way, and God, I just admit that. I confess that. I, I know our church, I know we go our own way. We're not perfect. We are sinful, broken people, but we are sinful and broken people that are healed by Jesus, that are redeemed by Jesus, that our faith restores us. We are not defined by our worst decisions or others' decisions against us. We are defined by your greatest victories, God. Your greatest victories, Jesus, when you lived in this world and you died for our life. Jesus, thank you. As we move towards the cross on Good Friday and the resurrection on Sunday, let us remember that the path to returning to you is in turning away from the world and running to you. Let us know the hope that we have in you, Jesus. Let us share that hope with others. Let us be a place in this crazy coronavirus season, in this season of being distanced from others. Let us be hope bearers, grace bearers, light givers. And let others see you through us, our flawed and broken representation of you. May it be 
but let others see you through us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.